Welcome to Lift Up Your Heart, where we celebrate the good news of the gospel and the Catholic faith. I'm Gina Christian, here with Oblate Father Thomas Daly, who holds the John Cardinal Foley Chair of Homiletics and Social Communications at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Wynwood, Pennsylvania. Through this podcast, we'll be highlighting messages of hope for a church and a world where the news we hear is too often despairing. But when we find a reason to rejoice in Jesus Christ, we can all learn to lift up our hearts. Welcome, Father. It's great to see and hear you as always. Thanks, Gina. And welcome to Matt Gambino, the editor of CatholicPhilly.com and my boss. Matt, it's great to have you back in the studio after a year. It's good to speak with you again, Gina. Well, no, you know, it hasn't been a year. I just realized because we had done the seminarian podcasts in Lent, but for the three of us to be at table, it has been a year. So welcome back to both of you. All right. Well, that said, let's get straight to the bad news, which is pretty much everything. Right, Father? (laughs) I'm not sure I'd say everything, but certainly... I think something prominent these days is the divisiveness among people in society, in church. You know, sports fans, I mean, there was a story the other night on the news about two golfers fighting. I mean, golfers, golfers don't fight, but they got in some argument. And Was this miniature golf? No, for real golf. <laughs> Professionals. But we've always had differences. We've always had opposition in some sense. And because we have differences, there is opposition. But it seems like... It's quickly jumping to vilifying the other side and then, of course, the violence. And it might be jumping through all those hoops in one fell swoop. But the antagonism in society, on the road, in the ballpark, in church, maybe it's me, but it seems to be on the rise. I think there's a baseline of high stress to begin with in the culture. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm sure psychologists or sociologists could pinpoint it, but that's what I detect as a, a high baseline of stress. Then you add on maybe a habit from social media and other forms of communication that rewards negativity. So you put all that together in the real world and it could be a toxic brew. Right. And so I think we've gotten to the point where the starting point seems to be this antagonism or opposition that stress has contributed to, that the media contributes to. But we seem to start with being opposed to one another, which is not healthy for anybody, I don't think. But how do we get from that to love your enemies? That seems like such an impossible bridge. And to somehow turn this all around, you and I had been talking off mic about, you know, a way to kind of break that down and stop this process. Now, how do we do it? Well, that was one of the gospel passages read in the liturgy this week to Jesus preaching to love your enemies, which is a stunning concept. It happens to be a defining concept of Christianity. And I think he meant it. <laughs> I think he meant love your enemies. On the one hand, it's as I read it, it's pretty realistic. I mean, Jesus is assuming we have enemies. And that's just, again, human nature that we differ and that sometimes those differences are strong and are not just differences, but real opposition. But he tells us, love your enemies. Thankfully, he did not say to like your enemies because liking someone is a natural, I don't want to say instinct, but a natural reaction that we have to people. You like certain people, others you don't like. You like certain foods, you don't like others. It's just built into our constitution. So that's not something we can do something about, but we can choose to love somebody, even somebody 
that I disagree with, even somebody that I'm opposed to. It's a challenge, but because it's our choice, it's possible. But even the word, I did my homework, even the Greek word for enemies, echros, sounds like yeah. <laughs> very very off putting. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, but it's hard. But it's just, I mean, what I'm hearing is that, that love is a decision, not a natural, you know, kind of effervescence of feeling that I might have towards someone I might instantly find charming and interesting right. and affable, but, you know, that I may have to overcome. Right. It's very much a decision. And I think in Jesus's preaching it, the idea was to make that the starting point of a relationship, not starting with opposition. So if I can come into a relationship, even a crowd somewhere, and my supposition is a goodness point of view, uh, I'm going to love this person point of view. That doesn't mean I have to go run over and hug everybody in a crowd. That's not what he's saying. But the starting point, our viewpoint, our take on people has to start with goodness. If it doesn't, we're all in trouble. Are you saying, assuming that that person is lovable, that they're good? I'm saying, assuming that it's a person and therefore you are lovable. You may not be good <laughs> as a person, but I can still love you. In fact, that's how God treats us. <laughs> We're all sinners, but God still loves. I think it was Francis de Sales had said something to the effect of you can't really know the other person, at least, you know, at first. And so even not knowing anything about them, you can't sort of wait until you figure out whether they're worthy of being loved. You just love them from the start. That was his sense of a cordial approach to people, a heartfelt approach to people. The challenge, of course, becomes when you do learn about them and you know what they're like and you don't want to love them. That's where some of the other virtues like courage kick in and, and we choose to love them even though we don't like them. Well, and it's funny you said that because as you were talking, I thought, yes, it's because we don't know the other person and we need to have encounter and everything. But that is the problem that can lead to actually disliking a person. But I, I think in the present day, you know, the sort of bad news we talked about is that we're starting from the assumption that I'm not going to like you and I'm not going to love you and I'm not going to treat you well. And I think the love your enemies line is trying to flip that over, trying to say, start with, I'm going to love you. And then if it turns out that the person doesn't seem very lovable, love them anyhow. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to like them. But again, that's how God treats us. You know, and think about it in political terms, you know, people are on different sides and there's oppositions and there's unrest. Can we start with loving the other side, at least to the extent of recognizing their people, their, their fellow citizens. Yeah, they might be completely wrong as far as I'm concerned, and many of them are, but they're fellow citizens. They're trying. Even if they're corrupt, they're still people. And if we don't start making that the starting point and the jumping off point that I'm dealing with another human being, we're going to face a lot more opposition. I would think an important part of that, that process of learning about this person is learning to listen and maybe as you approach them to set up this kind of atmosphere that I'm going to listen to you. That seems to be something I think when we listen to somebody, we are hearing, which is different than listening, and we're looking for an opportunity to counter them to get our point of view across so that we can quote unquote win the argument. You're not speaking about experience with me, Matt, are you? Not at all. No, not at all. I don't win arguments with you. No, but it's true. In any kind of debate where there's a question or something being discussed, especially if it's a hot topic, you know, we want to champion our own point of view. And so therefore we listen 
to see how we can defeat the other side's argument. Okay. But as you said, listening is just allowing the other person to present what he or she thinks and maybe, just maybe, persuade me to think differently. But I still think the love your enemies part goes back even sort of before that, you know, deeper than that. It's the recognition that I can disagree with you and love you at the same time. How is that possible? Because I choose to. I'll give you an example. The place I used to teach before, another faculty member, I think he and I voted opposite ways on virtually every single topic at a meeting for 20 some years. He's the first guy I would put to work on a committee with me, however, because he has a different point of view. He and I never agreed. But after every meeting, you know, we could go out and celebrate together. There were no fisticuffs or popcorn being thrown or anything like that because it wasn't about us. It was about whatever the topic happened to be. And we came at it from different points of view and and we differed on it. And okay, let's take the best of it and move on. But the assumption that I'm going to care for you anyhow, I'm going to work with you anyhow, I'm going to stand by you anyhow, that I think is what Love Your Enemies is about. And how can this change me? If I come into these relationships, these encounters with people with this presumption that I'm going to love this person for being a person, how does that change me? Well, uh, I'll give you a really simple example since it kind of occurred to me walking over here to the office today. Just walking down the street, a city street, how would you look at all these people that you don't know? With suspicion, do you presume they're against you? Do you avoid them? If I'm going to take this love your enemies thing for real, then I'm going to walk confidently because every single person on the street whom I'm not even talking to, I'm trying to love them. Maybe I do say hello. Maybe I do wave. But at least I'm not looking around fearfully that this person is opposed to me, that this person wants to yell at me, that this person wants to harm me in some way. And that generates in me certainly a greater peacefulness, hopefully a cheerfulness, and makes even the most inconsequential encounters better. It seems to me that in that way, you're really building your house on solid rock, not sand. Because if you're going to let your demeanor be shaped and shifted by different people, and if you're constantly going to switch mood and switch gears and you're never kind of stable, at least if you have a commitment to love, you're going into life with more stability. Right. And my choice to do that, my choice to love someone else does not depend on that someone else. So I am fully in control of my choice and it's not subject to the whims of whoever the other happens to be, which means I lose control. And that's why I sense you know, myself being so out of it. There's a difference there between control and freedom. Mm-hmm. That's true freedom. Absolutely. Believing you don't have control over this, but you have control over how you deal with people. Right. Absolutely. You know, loving your enemies is putting the control back to you because it's my choice to do that or not. I'm still going to disagree with you. I'm still going to think you're totally wrong, but I'm going to love you anyhow. And that gives me mastery or control over the situation. And it means I don't react or blow up at people when they do something or say something. I have a more peaceful heart. I have hopefully a more cheerful heart. But it's only possible through the grace of God. When I think of Christ being crucified, you know, having been abandoned, tortured, rejected, 
and then literally stretching out his limbs to have Roman nails, which were about six to eight inches long, I think, driven through them and to still say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. To me, that if anything is divine, it has to be. Right. Absolutely. Even before that, at the Last Supper, right? Jesus knew it was coming. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew that the rest of them were going to jump ship and run away. And still, he gave them himself in the Eucharist. So even knowing what was coming, he could still love them. And for, well, almost all of them, that loving of them, I think, transformed them. Father Thomas Daly, you have indeed given us a reason by the grace of God to lift up our hearts. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Always great to have both of you in front of me. I know you both disagree with me terribly, but I'm glad we can still love each other. (laughs) Yes, we do. Thanks, Gina. Indeed. You've been listening to Lift Up Your Heart with Oblate Father Thomas Daly and Gina Christian. This podcast has been a production of CatholicPhilly.com and the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Music by Ixon. For more information on our podcast, visit us online at CatholicPhilly.com. And until next time, take hold of the good news and lift up your heart.